0: Hi, welcome to Waterstone's Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've tuned in to join us today to study God's Word. Here at Waterstone, we exist to help people become like Jesus and live for others. What this means practically is that we gather together as one body to seek God's heart for justice, to serve together, and to connect with one another as the body of Christ. We hope that you'll join us for one of our weekend services soon. We gather on Saturday nights at 5 p.m. and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We look forward to meeting you in person, and we hope that you enjoy today's sermon. Well, Happy New Year! Year. And to those joining us online, Happy New Year. We're glad you're joining in. Hey, uh, I've gotten some emails over this last week, and the first uh, question was, how did we do in our offering on Christmas Eve for Giving Heart?" Giving Heart is a partner, a ministry of Waterstone that uh, serves those experiencing homelessness on South Broadway in Englewood. Our goal was to raise $20,000 for their construction project of finishing their uh, showers and laundry room. We raised $31,000 for (laughs) Giving Heart. So thank you for your incredible generosity. And uh, I know it's going to make difference, saving lives uh, as Giving Heart moves forward. So thank you so much. The other email I've gotten is, how's our own church budget doing? Yes, uh, there are actually people who care about that. So, (laughs) and uh, I I just want to lay this out. We have uh, still $150,000 we need to finish in the black this year, launch us health-wise into next year. We invite your prayerful consideration of an extra gift Even more, we invite your prayers if we have to make decisions and and how to to adjust to that uh, moving into the next year. So however you uh, can be involved, I'm asking all of us to be involved by prayer, by giving, and uh, just your faithful support of Waterstone. We're grateful. Well, I've always found many years of preaching uh, that preaching on this particular weekend is a bittersweet experience uh, the weekend before the new year. And it's bitter because you all are exhausted. You're wiped out. The holidays are a crazy busy time. You just need to sit there. And, you know, I'm beyond you know, anything remotely, like, worried about this. If you need to take a nap, take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. You're tired. The sweet part of this is, and I I believe you're with me on this, this is a a time of the year and part of the journey of our lives where we reflect a little bit. Am I right? Reflect on the past year, maybe reflect on the coming year, even some goals, some ideas, some things we want to tweak as we move forward. So I I find it interesting to preach into that space with you because uh, I'm guessing you're hoping there'd just be something to grab onto that could even be a jolt For the coming year and I think it's going to happen Uh, last night we had an amazing service uh, uh, Saturday night crew and uh, by the way uh, quick quick word on our Saturday night congregation beginning next Saturday we're actually moving that service into this room it's had some growth it's a fun service Uh, I would actually uh, encourage you to try our Saturday night service over the coming months it's, a, it's a much more informal. We take a coffee break in the middle of the service. It's acoustic. It's reflective. Um, I think some of you might be more interested in that. So uh, plus it's at 5 o'clock. You have worship. You go out for dinner with friends after. And uh, so please consider trying out our Saturday night service in the next couple of weeks. We'll be meeting in here uh, 5 o'clock on Saturdays. Let me pray. And then we'll jump into this space of uh, reflection. And let me just make this one statement that I hope is the statement you leave with this morning that fills that space. Here it is. Following Jesus is saying no and saying yes. Following Jesus is saying no and saying yes. Let's pray. This is a prayer of one of the great reformers, John Calvin. Lord Jesus Christ, in you is hidden all the mysteries of truth and joy and wisdom. Grant unto us now that humility to hear your word and without which no one will see you. We open our hearts and we invite the Holy Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Take your word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. And together we say, amen, amen. Following Jesus is saying no, and it's saying yes. We go for our text to the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark is believed to be the first gospel written and therefore it has kind of a prominence of place for us. The gospel of Mark is like the first discipleship manual in the early church. When people wanted to know who Jesus was and how to follow him, they had in hand the gospel of Mark. It was the manual. Now don't misunderstand me. The whole Bible and every word reveals who God is, and it reveals the story that we're in, the story of creation, that God made all things. The the fall, we broke all things. The rescuer, his son, comes to save us. And the restorer, he comes again to make all things new. That's the giant reality in which we live. That's the story we're all a part of. But the gospel of Mark has a primacy of place in teaching us how to enter that story because it's the first gospel written. And... We believe that the Holy Spirit not only inspired the words of Scripture, he breathed them out, as Paul said, but also the forms of Scripture, the genres, the type of literature that they are. Now understand that a gospel is a a type of literature that had never before been seen in the ancient world. It was a brand new thing. And what is a gospel? Well, it's two things. A gospel is first of all story. Now, we all know the power of story, right? Story is that kind of literature that invites participation. We can enter into the story and actually be witnesses of the events, and we can experience them as the original audience did by reading the story. And the other interesting part of the story is, I mean, you read along in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you begin to think to yourself, man, I could have never made this up in a million years. But at the same time, you're thinking, but this is exactly the kind of God I would want if I could choose a God. It's a a powerful experience to read a gospel. The second part of the beauty of a gospel is it's, well, what does the word gospel mean? Shout it out. Does anyone remember what's gospel mean? Good news. So it's news. It's information. It's information about specifically Jesus, Son of God, that we would not otherwise know. Now, in many places, we think, you know, we'd like to know a little more. Like in the Gospels, there's very little about Jesus' childhood There's very little about his family and how he got along with his family and what they thought of him. I've always been really curious, like, what his brothers and sisters thought of him. Or even to think of Jesus as having brothers and sisters is an interesting thought experiment. What was all that like? What was his working life like? Some scholars believe he was a bricklayer, a mason. Others believe he was a carpenter. What was his vocation? And what was it like to live uh, as a, a, a working uh, person in his world. We know very little about um, his, you know, he was a homeless man. He had no particular place where he lived. What was that experience like? What, we all know the toll that being homeless takes on a soul. What was, we know very little about some things we'd like to know more. And what we do know, what we do get, we don't get, <laughs> And especially the Gospel of Mark. So let's focus in a little. The Gospel of Mark has 16 chapters. The first eight are action adventure, packed, fast paced, present tense, moving, moving. And there's two kinds of movements that are always happening. Either Jesus is making a claim and riling up the crowds, like in Mark 2, he makes a claim, Well, you know, I'm the one who gave the Sabbath to you. Hold on. <laughs> The Sabbath was a part of creation. You're saying, Jesus, that you lived before creation was made, that you're the one that actually designed and gave rhythm to the creation. And Jesus said, yep, that's what I'm saying. Will you go a little farther up? He's healing a man that they dropped through the roof. You go a little farther in, and the, he's calming a storm with the exercise of his vocal cords. You go a little farther, he's feeding a crowd of 20,000 from a little boy's happy meal. You go a little farther, he's, he, he is, is um, uh, casting demons, 1,000 demons out of a man into a herd of pigs, and they rush into the, say, the Sea of Galilee. I mean, huh. massive moments. And then in between the massive moments are these claims, like, yeah, I'm the one that forgives sins. Every sin you've committed has been against me. And you begin to think, who is this man? And then there's a hinge. At the end, and we're going to jump in, at the end of chapter 8, there's this hinge where it's like the first three years of his public ministry are packed into those first eight chapters, and we just get a sense of the whirlwind And the paparazzi and the crowds and these unbelievable things that say I dare you to believe this the end of chapter 8 it turns and from chapter 9 through chapter 16 it slows down and those entire eight chapters are about the last week of Jesus life and it's almost an hour-by-hour progression of the last hours of Jesus' life. And we begin to get the, uh, the explanation is, I see that this whole first eight chapters and the whole entire meaning of his life was really about his death and his resurrection. And everything hinges on that. Right in the middle, fast-paced action-adventure, turn on the heels, slow down, see Jesus heading to the cross, right in the middle is where we're going to pick up today the hinge and the reason i want to do that for us on this last day i don't know if you're the news is calling it one two three one two three day think about that um the last day is because we're in that hinge space where we are thinking about the year ending but also pressing forward and in this space what can compel us to follow jesus what can compel us to saying no and saying yes that's where we start today let's jump in mark chapter 8. let me set the text up for us just a minute and then uh, we'll have it uh, on the screen and i'll read it jesus is in conversation with his disciples it's a very significant conversation Uh, Jesus asks his core followers who are people saying that I am and you might remember they they give answers though some say you're John the Baptist some say you're the prophet Elijah some say you're other prophets and then Jesus says but you you know me you followed me for the last three years who do you say that I am and Peter uh, uncharacteristically gets it right when he says you're the Messiah you're the son of God And on that is the turn. As soon as Peter says that, Jesus says, yes, and the Son of Man will now suffer many things and he must be put to death by the authorities. Whoa. Now, understand with me, Son of man is not just seeing Jesus saying, I'm a man. It's not referring to his as humanity. Son of man is actually a title from the Old Testament. It's in Daniel seven, when Daniel has this great vision of what's going on in the heavenly realms. And you have the ancient of days, the father ruling the world and at the father's right hand sits who? The son of man. The son of man is actually a massive claim to deity. Jesus is saying, I'm the one in Daniel 7 who sits at the Father's right hand and in control of history, son of man. And then he says, must suffer many things, must die at the hands of the authorities. Understand the authorities, the most religious people of Jesus' day, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the most civilized people of Jesus' day, the Roman government, at their hands, I must die. The disciples weren't ready for that. I mean, the Son of Man, you're going to save us. You're going to lead us out of the iron claw of Rome. You're going to be Messiah. You're going to save us. And you're saying the Son of Man must suffer and he must die? They didn't see that coming. In fact, Peter, he... uh, Goes back to normal, and he, said, he, he rebukes Jesus. He says, Jesus, you're talking nonsense. Stop it. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. Do you remember what he says to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. That's a rebuke. Then we enter our text, and we read these words. Jesus essentially saying, because I'm the son of man who will suffer and die, here's what it means to follow me. Saying no and saying yes. Verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Following Jesus is saying no, or in Jesus' words, denying ourselves. What does that mean? The idea of denying ourselves is a mental reflection on what is inhibiting us from following Jesus and and engaging his mission, which he described there for us in verse 35, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, for me and for the gospel, we'll save it. So when we, we exercise this idea of saying no, of denying ourselves, we're asking, whose agenda is most important in my life? Is it Jesus' agenda of living as He teaches us to live, of being very courageous with the gospel and sharing the good news with other people? That's the mission. Is that our highest agenda? Or are we distracted in our agenda by everything that the world throws at us as means of success? He goes on to say it's not only this idea of self-renunciation, of submitting our agenda to his agenda, denying ourselves. But he talks about it then in a shape of a cross, that is, putting something to death. And then he says something startling. He says, whoever wants to save their life must lose it. Now, what's surprising there is the word for life. We would expect it to be a Greek word that speaks about a chronology of life, like we either we're alive or we're dead, and we have this time we're alive, that's life. The word life, you've heard of it in Greek, it's the word psyche. What English word do we get from the word psyche? Psychology. Psychology. The study of of the mind, the study of the inner world, the study of selfhood, the study of how we define our identity. Jesus is saying that if you say no to the world, you deny yourself, and you want to follow me and be sharers of my gospel, it's a change of psyche. In other words, you build your identity and your selfhood on something different than the values of the culture around you. Now, every culture has values that they submit into lives that say, if you do this, you will be successful in your culture so for instance in Jesus culture it was much to do about family very patriarchal culture and passing on you know the generations your family wealth your family land and property all that through the generations taking care of your family very community driven culture so when Jesus says and I'm so looking forward to the series we're going to start in February into Easter the hard sayings of Jesus Imagine how Jesus' message was received when he said in a family-driven culture like his own, well, if you follow me, you must hate your father and mother. And I'm just gonna leave that hanging there because that's one of the texts <laughs> that we're gonna talk about in February. So come on back. <laughs> in our culture, what are the values that the, the, the culture says, if you if you want to be successful in life, here you go. We could probably lame shout, shout some out. A good job. A fulfilling career, enough money to give you freedom and success at least in the western culture let's say Um, apocalyptic romance uh, family is important Um, in in our culture right now more and more do you know what I think is defining values in culture is sexual identity and gender identity those are huge in our culture And Jesus is saying to all of them, there may be truth in them, there may be some goodness and some redemption in them, but if you hold to them as the thing that gives meaning to your life, they will fall short and you will be distraught. Why? Because they cannot give you what I can give you. They cannot be the living water that you drink. They cannot be the living bread that you eat and calm the rage, hunger, and thirst in your heart. You were made for a specific relationship with God. And it's only through Jesus that that relationship can be intact. And so without me, you may chase all those other things and you will come up short. Not only that, you may even get many of those things. And be in such a great place in your life. But hello, end of the year, thinking about time. You're getting old. I almost said dude. (laughs) Sorry. You're getting old, people. You may be eight years old in the room, but I'm telling you, one day you will be 61 years old. And you begin to realize these things you thought were so important that you have even had, you are losing your grip on them already. They can't save you. Jesus was poetic, wasn't he? You may gain everything this world has to offer and still lose your soul. My friends, following Jesus is saying no. No to the offerings of our culture that come and try to distract us from mission of living like Jesus and sharing his gospel with others. It's saying no to those things that we think our heart needs and we we'd give up anything to get and they're not specifically focused on him. So I want to ask you, here's some of the work we need to do right now in this moment. It's this. What do you need to say no to today? As you think about moving forward in your life, let me drill it down a little more. What has too much of your heart that you know it's not at the center of God's agenda for you? What has too much place in your heart? What is taking too much time in your life that you know is not healthy as you seek to pursue God's kingdom? What do you need to say no to? Are you tracking with me? Give me a nod. Wake up. (laughs) What do you need to say no to? And now I'm really going to get into your personal space. What gives a no power is to not say it alone. If you're really serious about changing a habit, about getting accountability in parts of your life if you're really serious about your no do you know what makes a no strong sharing that no with another brother or sister sharing it with your small group sharing it with a family member don't let your no's be weak by staying alone if you really want to say no to something and change share it with somebody Oh, my favorite story about this is about an old pastor who I was a big fan of uh, in the previous millennium, and his name was Bruce Tillman. He's with the Lord now listening to us preach this morning, but he uh, was a pastor of a large church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Bruce Tillman, a single man, he reached the point in his 50s where his weight got really out of control, began to affect his health. And the Holy Spirit jumped him one day. He was traveling on a train to Philadelphia. And he had to go to the bathroom. And his body weight was such that he couldn't fit in the bathroom on a train. And so the Holy Spirit just kind of like jumped him. He got back from his trip. And immediately, here's the no gaining strength. He went to a doctor in his church. And he shared his problem. He shared the experience openly, vulnerably. And he said, I need help. So the doctor said, this was, a, this was on a Saturday. The doctor said, come to my office, day off. But you come to my office, and we're going to weigh you, and we're going to get started. Well, he gets to the doctor's office, and his scale is not uh, made enough to, to get his whole weight. So they talk for a minute and then they decide there's another guy in his congregation who works at the post office. And so the two of them call this guy and they meet on a Saturday at the post office and they weigh Bruce Tillman on a postal scale. And by the time the needle stopped, Bruce is in tears. And his two congregational members do nothing but stand beside him with their hands on his shoulders and weep. They pray, Bruce decides that moment that he needs to tell his congregation, the next morning. So he does, he lays everything out. He says, I need to say no and change my life radically to the things I've been leaning on to help me cope. And he shares it and just puts it out there. And that day, someone brings a, this was back in the 1980s, but someone brings a very expensive, uh, what do you call them, stationary bike, drops it at his house Sunday afternoon. And over the next weeks, his congregation proceeds to send him cards and letters. And often in these cards were raccoon tails to attach to the tail end of the bike. And someone sent him a box with rear-view mirrors so that as he pedaled, he could watch his butt disappear. And (laughs) he shed over the next months a lot of pounds and got his weight back under control. And when he preaches this message now on the other side, here's what he says. In order to bear a burden, you have to share the burden. What do you need to share to help follow Jesus by saying no? Well, that's heavy lifting, isn't it? In fact, Jesus goes on to describe it as uh, carrying a cross. So what is the kind of momentum and what's the motivation to help us do that kind of heavy lifting, to say that kind of no? It's the yes. So Jesus sets it up in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. He says, okay, something very significant is going to happen now as we take this turn and I start this death talk on a death walk to Jerusalem. He said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And now if you're in the original audience, one of the disciples is saying, what? Like what? Taste death? See, the kingdom of God has come with power. And then there's this, verse 2, there's this interesting phrase, six days later. Now, Mark is usually so action-packed and so moving that this kind of temporal reference of a six days is rare. So when you see it, you have to understand this is going to be a very important moment, what's about to happen. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the inner core, the three significant leaders in the early church with him and led them up a high mountain, probably Mount Hermon, up in the north in Galilee, snow covered most of the year, where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured. Interesting word in the Greek, meta morphao. Morph is the idea of a change, we, we know morphing, transformers, you know, morphing, changing. But the meta is the idea of changing an outer appearance. So he's still a human being. But the veil of glory is taken away. This is a massive moment when it gets so bright. The clothes became dazzling white, radiant, whiter than any clothes specialist in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah, the prophets, And Moses, the law, the entire witness of Scripture is now pointing to Jesus at this moment. And God the Father has lifted the veil and saying, look at my son. Do you see the glory? This is a moment. And as you can imagine, what would you do? Well, it was... If you go to verse 5 and 6, I just love Mark's little editorial comment here. First of all, Peter (laughs) says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Okay. All right, Peter. (laughs) Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Okay. Now, as crazy as that might sound, I think Peter's instincts are right. Because when you... Read like verse 7, the cloud appeared and covered them. When was the last time like a cloud came down over a big mountain and one person was up there and God says, you better like move out of the way. I'm going to pass before you. But if you take this full on, you're a dead man because you cannot encounter the full glory of my being. That was Moses in Exodus, right? You have the same kind of language. But for the first time, three people are there and they're not killed by the dreadful holiness of God. Why? Because Jesus is there. He's the bridge between the glory of God and our current condition. Jesus is there. But notice verse 6, the editorial comment, he did not know what to say, they were so frightened. He, this was a moment that changed their life. They never forgot it this captured them and what's going on in all of it why did this happen now i submit to you that when jesus language of denying yourself of picking up a cross of laying down your life your psyche for for my agenda what enables that no this the yes the glory of god in christ it enabled peter james and john In the early church to do what they needed to do because they never forgot this moment they felt the weight of the glory of christ for the rest of their days so quickly what does that mean for us personally it means we must never stop feeling that weight either we can't have, as our approach to Jesus, this idea, well, he's, he's a good option. He's one of many philosophies that can make your life better. He's just, you know, one of many that we have on the shelf to choose from. The rest of the New Testament, which most, by the way, always started in the urban centers of cities, where it was very courageous to say, no, it's only Jesus. Jesus is the only way. We, too, must walk through this life with a strong yes to saying Jesus is the only way to God. We must, too, be captured by his claims as the early church was, like in Luke 10 when Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. You're like, what? You were before Anything was made. You were, when Satan fell and evil became part of this universe, you were present. You saw that. Who are you? And uh, at the very end, when Jesus preaches in Matthew 24, at the end of time, every person stands for me. I'm the shepherd of eternity, and you're either goat or you're sheep. And I decided. And the, the, the basis of your decision is what you've done with me. Can you imagine anyone saying that? What would you think? We can never just say, Jesus, he's a good option. I'll add him on to my life. When you meet Jesus and you see his claims, he leaves no room for middle ground. He's either God, the Lord of heaven, the son of man, or he is a lying, crazy person, a megalomaniac. There's nothing in the middle, folks. And we must never get over that experience of feeling the weight of his glory and who he is. Once you encounter him and you understand that he's the Lord of heaven, the guider of history, the savior of the world, the one who's going to come again and make all things new, he is glory, glory, glory. Once we meet him and experience that, we're never the same. My favorite story around that comes from David Platt in his book Radical. He described it, I'm going to put it in, like if it was talking about me, he did this with his church once. He said, imagine that you're in here and uh, Maddie finishes all the songs and Josh goes into the greeting time and then you, you know, it runs out of steam. Everyone sits down and there's no one on the stage. So you begin thinking like you were back in high school, right? Well, if he has a master's degree, we need to wait five minutes. If he has a doctorate, we wait 10 You you think what where where's Larry where's Paul who's preaching? And at four minutes and thirty nine seconds, I walk up here. Oh, I made it! I made it! I'm here. Thank you for waiting. And uh, I'm disheveled. I'm dirty, you know, mud, whatever. And let me tell you what happened. And on my way to church, I was on C four seventy and I had a flat tire. And I don't know, I must have stepped out on the main road a little too far, and I got hit by a Mack truck going 60 miles an hour. But I got back up, and I dusted myself off, and I made it. Thank you for waiting. (laughs) What would you think? You'd say, you are so full of it. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Why? Because when you get hit by a truck, you are a different person. And I'm saying that once we encounter Jesus, we've been hit by the truck, and we are never the same, and there's no going back. Our life suddenly becomes about him and about his mission, and every other agenda and every other love is submitted to that, to him. We're wrecked. And we stir that up again and again. We stir that up and we keep the Jesus furnace stoked. How do we do it? Let me just throw one out there real quick. We read the scriptures. What's your plan? Let's call it the MVP plan, majestic vision program. How will you keep the glory of Jesus in front of you? You cannot do it without somehow interacting with God's word through the Bible. So what's your plan? Here's a yes. You need to have a yes in your life to say, yes, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Now, not the whole, like it could be cover to cover if you want to try that. That's a a huge undertaking. My encouragement would be we're going to put some apps on the screen. Here's some ways you can get the word of God into your life so that you have a majestic vision program. And keep the Jesus furnace stoked. The book of Psalms, The Songs of Jesus by Tim and Kathy Keller. Jan and I love this book. We've done it together for years and we've never been able to find anything that worked for both of us. This has been great. It's just a portion of a Psalm every day and it's a prayer and it just launches you into Jesus and sharing the gospel. I would encourage that. Or maybe for you it's an app well, a lot of you, I get a lot of emails around this, the 365, Alexio 365, how much you love it. It's got a morning and an evening. It's scripture. It's prayer and meditation. You can do it. Jan does it on her way to work. It's just a great way to absorb scripture. And the last one is the one I love. It's called reading scripture. It's a, you can either do it, read through the Bible in three years, or you can, if you're ambitious, read through the entire Bible in one year. And it has a, a video about every book of the Bible, helps you understand the background and context. It's a powerful tool. What's your plan? What's your plan? To keep your eyes on the glory of Jesus and who he is. And it's also, as a church, You know, I just want you to know this, on the inside, it's still our plan to make every Saturday night, Sunday morning an experience of the glory of Jesus. How do we do that? Paul told Timothy, don't neglect the public reading of scripture. We want every service to be built around scripture. We read scripture. We know sometimes the scripture readings get long. I sometimes get emails around that and I'm like, oh, well, I don't care. (laughs) that's a non-negotiable why because we need that majestic vision of jesus again and again and again we want to give you the biggest dose of jesus each week that we know how to do and that is always built around sharing scripture and preaching god's word that's what we're about you know this transfiguration it wasn't a parlor trick To trick the disciples into believing Jesus was God. They already knew that. They already believed that. Do you know what it was? It was a collective worship experience. Why? Because in their days ahead, it's going to get very hard. James would become the first of the 12 martyred. Peter would be crucified upside down in his witness for Christ. John spent most of his life exiled on an island of Patmos. It would get really, really hard for these three guys. And what kept them going? what kept them going this second Peter chapter 1 verse 16 Peter writes for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying this is my son whom I love With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. In order for our no's to stay strong, we stay focused on our yes, and that is the glory of God in Christ. Let's pray. Before I pray, I forgot this. Before I pray, the worship team's going to come, and we're going to take about the next five minutes and just give you some space to ask God, Holy Spirit, what do I need to be saying no to? What did you tap me on the shoulder earlier about? What's that? And then we want you to ask God, and what do I need to be saying yes to? A thousand times yes. We're gonna have a song and a space just for you to say, talk with God about your no's and your yes's. And then we'll have a closing song to finish. But let's pray. Lord, as we enter into this space of reflection, of a year ending, and Lord, we we think and reflect on our lives to this point. Holy Spirit, come. First, if there's anyone here in the room that maybe is just wondering about Christianity and who Jesus is and where they stand with him. May your Holy Spirit bring the clarity even in this next moment that everything they've heard today is an invitation to join into the glory of Christ. And just by saying, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you're coming again. I believe that you rose from the dead. There's no one like you Just say yes to him right now, in this moment. Say yes to him and enter into his glory. And for those of us who've known the yes, the amen, for a long time, could this next moment be a time when we stoke the Jesus furnace even more hot? Glory, glory, glory. Lord, stir me up. Stir me up that I can live like Jesus and follow him, that I can share the good news. Show me how. Let's be with him now as we hear this song.